Hello, and welcome to Business Without Bullshit, where we take a sideways look at modern businesses talking to founders and entrepreneurs about the problems they face and how they solve them. I'm Andy Ori, and alongside me is my co-host, Pippa Sturt. Hi, Andy. Hello. And a quick reminder, if you like what we do here, please do rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn at B-I-Z without B-S. Go and do that immediately after you've listened to this. Now, there are a few big subjects out there that are incredibly important, evolving very fast, and frankly, extremely confusing and hard to get any clarity on. And one of these subjects is sustainability. It's everywhere. We talk about it all the time how we all need to do something about it, but what the hell are we supposed to actually do? If you're a small or medium-sized business trying to grow, keep your customers and staff happy, and generally get through the year without having a nervous breakdown, working out what your business should be doing to be more sustainable or like good, or indeed carbon neutral, is incredibly difficult. The information isn't clear, the answers are confusing, and so we are on a mini mission to cut the bullshit and get to the facts of what businesses should be doing and how we go about going from this plastic, single-use, energy-wasting producers of hot air to the super clean, funky, sustainable businesses running off hot air. And so joining us today to help us understand a little bit more about a massive piece of the scaffolding of this new world we find ourselves in is Andy Hawkins, founder of Business On Purpose, whose aim is to empower people to do more business on purpose as a force for good for people, planet, and profit. Just imagine an economy based on purpose-driven business models which create benefits for all stakeholders, not just the shareholders, those mean, mean, mean people with all the money. Uh, Andy's been working with companies and clients for more than 20 years, helping them transform the way they work using technology. He also spent five years working on community development in Africa and a further five years in environmental services too, which equipped him to help clients assess and improve their environmental, social and governance aka ESG, as well as utilizing the B Corp process and B Impact Assessment. We are in very good company indeed, extremely choppy, confusing waters, and thank God we've got someone to help guide us. So Andy, welcome to the podcast. Great, good to see you, Andy. Good to see you, Pippa. Really great to be here on this evening. So tell us more about Business on Purpose. The Business on Purpose uh, came into being, frankly, by accident. Uh, that's uh, a lot of good things happen. So I've been in uh, tech for over 20 years, uh, set up my own tech practice, tech consultancy, wanted to put that through B Corp myself and struggled to go through it because there were lots and bits and pieces that I didn't understand. I myself was a startup at that stage and couldn't afford any uh, huge or fat consultancy fees, so muddled my way through it. Uh, all by myself. I did manage to speak to a couple of uh, mates who were a B Corp and gave me some advice and helped me through it and then got my own B Corp certification. A day later, a mate of mine rang me and said, Andy, you've just gone B Corp. Please, can you help us because we want to do the same? He was a mate. Of course, I was going to help him. Well, by the time I'd helped five mates <laughs> go through their B Corp, I was waking up and smelling the coffee and thinking, this is something that I really enjoy. This is something that the world needs. This is something that I'm potentially quite good at. Let's do more of this. So then Business on Purpose was then formed. And uh, in that 
16 months Christmas last year, I had helped 60 businesses go through the B Corp journey. And since January the 1st this year, we've had another 30 start and another 10 are starting in a few weeks' time. We'll be up to 100 businesses that I've helped with B Corp, which has been a huge privilege to walk that journey with those organizations who are all just having a go at being better, measuring what they're good at, getting insights on what they're not quite so good at, and uh, and having a go to uh, become better. And do all of them, all the businesses you help end up as B Corps, or do some of them sort of decide it's not worth the effort? All of them are either B Corp or in the queue or getting their impact assessment together. I've had, I've had no dropouts wow. so far. Maybe uh, maybe we just need to understand this architecture a little bit. I mean, it does amuse me your name of your business is business on purpose, but you're really business by accident now on purpose. I think is the, maybe that was a little long. Um, but the, the, the if give, give us the basics. Okay, we've got a limited company. Okay, a limited company is is run by its constitution, its articles of association, which basically say you've got to turn up to meetings and you know you've got shareholders that have certain duties or. Something like that. <laughs> Wait, no, I'm interested to see what yeah. you think. Well, I'm just, trying to, I'm just trying to get to the layer. What, what, what do we get no, as a face? Right. That's right. Did that's I, right. I got it. Yeah, I was talking kind of bollocks. How but the we, company is run. How the company's run. You can have a shareholders agreement which between the shareholders, talks more about how they should do things. Where that, That's the basic architecture of a company. Where, where does B Corp sit in all of this? Yeah, so that is your average legal framework, 100% right. And the average legal framework that, that you'll click a box and get from company's house when you set the company up, effectively uh, says and has said for a couple of hundred years, doing business in order to make a profit. That's the primary goal of a business. It's there to make a profit. And I think what B Corp does is it injects that you are there to make a profit. Absolutely. Uh, profit is certainly not a dirty word as far as B Corp is concerned. If you're not making a margin, you won't have a mission. So we we are pro-profit. But what B Corp does in terms of when you're redefining your articles, it says we will also make decisions based through the lens of people and planet as well as profit. And in doing that, it helps you bring a much better balance, sometimes known as the triple bottom line, to a business so that you're looking at not just the profit, but also what you're doing socially and environmentally in terms of how you're impacting your people and your planet. So let's let's go way back to before the words B Corp ever entered your consciousness. Young Andy, fresh out of university or, or not, I don't know. But what was your first proper job? I actually got a job uh, with NatWest Insurance in Bristol. There were about a thousand people in the business and uh, stayed on. Then uh, four years later, I enjoyed my time there, but four years later, I went into sales, and my very first sales job was with Cadbury. Got free chocolate. 21-year-old, company car, free chocolate. What's not to like? Did it put you off off chocolate? Because my mum worked in the Mars factory in Slough when she was a teenager, and she refused to eat Mars from then on out. No, it never stopped. Still love the stuff. And uh, at my peak, I was eating 12 bars a day. Oh, my God. Wow. Which one? Fruit and nut? Double Decker was my my particular Double Decker. You could have anything you want though. You didn't want to you didn't want to do the just like yeah, double decker. That's unusual. 
You could have whatever you want. You can't really get better than a flake, I think. Flake, I have plenty of flake. Crunchies, I like. Messy in the car, though. All of that stuff. So I did I did that um, for a couple of years, enjoyed selling, and then made the move over the tech, and then spent 20 years or so uh, selling, selling into the tech world. I just have to ask one more question on selling chocolate. Is that like selling candy to babies? Do you like who are you selling it to? To shops? Are you like are you like? Hey, do you want some chocolate? Yeah, fucking sure. And the, <laughs> the, training, the training course was absolutely amazing because it was a two week training course, and it was mainly all about psychology, oh, which wow. I was really shocked about. But the psychology of chocolate sales is amazing, and. When you go into a shop, you know, you've got that impulse purchase while you're waiting at the till. Mm. Unfortunately, well aware. Um, If you could get your product displayed in the main impulse purchase place, uh, as opposed to the second place, you would double your sales by having cases in that primary space. So that was really our role, was to uh, make friends with all of the shopkeepers and retailers and get them to put Cadbury products in the best place. You pretty much are all the spaces, aren't you? You and your, is it Roundtree? Who makes all the other chocolate? Anyway, Mars. Mars. Well, back in the day, it was, it was Mars, Cadbury and Roundtree. They were the three sort of uh, arch enemies, as it were. I love it. What's been your biggest fuck up other than leaving the world of chocolate? Business-wise, we sold a solution into a large hotel in London that had a message waiting lamp on the phones. And, um, has a, had a what? A, me- a message waiting lamp oh, on the telephone. You could get voicemail. You checked into a hotel and, you know, someone might ring you up and leave you a message right, on your phone. Right. This is really pre-mobile phone days, I guess. And um, there was some technical issue and the message waiting lamps didn't work, which caused <laughs> an enormous amount of problems. But to be fair, the business I was working for stepped up, changed it all. And as a result of owning that problem, we then won several other significant contracts with that business because they said, we want to be working with a partner who, when, you know, it's all going pear-shaped, is not is prepared to roll up the sleeves and get involved rather than do a runner. So that was quite an interesting, you know, lesson. Uh, you know, out of cock-up comes success, ultimately. I think um, when... Shit hits the fan, as you say, uh, and you're responsible for some of it. It's a really difficult thing to do, and it, it's uh, supposed to be against our profession in doing it, which is what I think professionals get wrong. But yeah, just owning up, saying "fuck, you fucked up," I'm sorry. It's like not what a politician always does. the best policy. It's always the best always. policy, and then and then like you say, you build the relationship, and you're like, okay, well, what are we going to do about it? You know, and you just scare because they're going to get angry, and maybe they do get angry for a minute, but. If you apologise, they shut up pretty quickly, I find, you know. Yeah, and, you know, not only did we apologise, but we said, and this is the plan within a sensible time frame to put it right. And the guy was angry, but kind of calmed down and said, okay, let's mm. get on with it. And and he said, you know, a month later, when we had a bit of a drains up about it, he said, as far as he was concerned, a relationship is not really a true relationship until it's been through, you know, one or two challenges. And I think that that's true professionally and personally. Well, mind you, once you bug it up the next two orders, he changes. <laughs> <laughs> 
I do think, you know, you take the wind out of people's sails if you just own up and say sorry. I mean, I quite often say sorry when I know that my client has totally fucked up. Yeah, yeah. And I say, I'm so sorry. I clearly wasn't clear enough in what I was asking you to do. Yeah, yeah, that's the classic line. I told you three times in every possible way I could think of, but I must not have, you know. It's totally my fault. I'll sort it out. You know, because they, you know, it's a relationship and nobody likes to be told they've fucked up. I also think when you crash a car, if it's your fault, I've learned, they say, don't never, never oh, no, admit. Say it's your say fault. Say it's fucking your fault. I, 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 I was parked in my um, Tesla in a traffic jam. Oh my God, I've admitted I've got a Tesla. And yeah, I, I saw the car move in front of me just a tiny bit and I panicked. I was super tired. Slammed the wrong thing. This thing's so powerful. It smacked the car. That went into the car. That went into the car. <laughs> Everyone got out with their necks. This guy was kicking it at me. This woman was, and I was just going... I'm really sorry. I'm really fucking sorry. I just kept saying I'm sorry. And eventually they were like, oh, right. Well, he keeps saying he's sorry. You know, I was, I was like, it's all my fault. You're absolutely I right. I kind of feel like Boris Johnson should be listening to this right now. Yeah. Well, that's the sad thing that politicians, like, there seems to be, I don't fucking understand. Why aren't they allowed to just oh, apologise no. or answer? No, blessed idea. I think it's called not having a moral compass. Yeah. Well, there we go. Uh, Apologise, kids, and you might get more work to fuck up. That's the general conclusion there. What is most misunderstood about sustainability? I think the thing that is most misunderstood about sustainability is people think that it's somebody else's issue and somebody else is going to come along and fix it. And I think that that's a really common misconception. Oh, the government will sort this or, you know, it's up to my employer and and big corporates and big business to fix this. Whereas actually it's everyone's issue. We've all got a part to play and we can all, we can all fix this together. And so I think that's the biggest misconception is that we kind of slope your shoulders and think somebody else is going to sort it. I think the problem is so many people and and people actually that we've had on this podcast will, will tell you that, you know, you as an individual, you're, you know, you doing something isn't really going to change very much. It needs to be the massive companies that make the changes. And so we all sort of think, oh, well, if it's not really going to change very much, then I, I just won't bother to spend an hour to sorting my, you know, recyclable yeah. stuff from everything else. But you're saying it's everybody's responsibility. Yeah, and, and I think, frankly let's not wait for the politicians to sort it and let's not wait for the big corporates to sort it. Let's let's do what we can because the proportions of uh, business that SMEs make up in the UK and vastly dwarf any of the corporates. So if we can coalesce and get all the SMEs working together and small businesses, then um, we'll show the big companies the way to go, really. Yeah, I think it's, um, we have said that one of the highest ratios in the world that we have like twice as many entrepreneurial businesses as Germany proportionally and things like this. So we're, and it's similar in Japan and Korea where it's like, they're all just massive companies as it were. But yeah, I mean. It's because you can set up a company without even blinking. Without, called Mickey Mouse, owned by Mickey and Minnie Mouse. I must do that, by the way, just to test the system. If I came to you and I was wanting to, get accreditation as a B Corp. And I said to you, I need to start transitioning to net zero. What would you tell me to do? Pretty easy. It's, uh, it would be the same way as if someone came to me and said, I'd like to lose some weight. What should I do? Almost certainly the first step is step on the scales and see how heavy you are. Um, you know, just, just do something to measure where you're at. And when you know from a CO2 perspective, 
how overweight you are, mm. then you can make a plan to actually, you know, equivalent of go on a diet, which in, in sustainability terms is called a carbon reduction plan. Um, but that's no different to, uh, you know, a diet plan um, for losing weight. But with your carbon reduction plan, you'll then look at certain targets and what you can do to improve things across the board. A fat reduction plan, a carbon reduction plan. These are the plans. Um, bloody hard work. I mean, for me, losing weight's pretty hard. Those things are pretty hard. In reality, going on a carbon or going on a, you know, B Corp plan, what 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 is do you think the hardest bit of that for a company? Again, without a shadow of a doubt, I think it's just getting started because I think once they've started and they then realize how many insights they can find and that they're actually doing pretty well in some areas and that there's some areas that they can make some uh, some improvements, I think they then kind of wake up and get it and, and the momentum's then going. It's, it's starting off that I think companies find difficult. What about asking, you said you go to all your stakeholders and ask them and it's like, you know, that can be a bit of a two-edged sword, you know, saying to your staff, should we pay you more? Yes. Should we give you more holiday? Yes. Should we? It's like, okay, we kind of backed ourselves into a corner here. Do people get a bit demoralised, I guess is the question, when they realise that there's a big mountain to climb? I don't think so, Philippa, because I think, you know, we're trying to say we want to be a force for good, we want to balance people, planet and profit. Um, without profit, we, we can't do anything for people and planet. And so I think individuals are smart enough to realize that there is not a, a never-ending supply from the magic money tree and that there is a, a, a finite set of resources and, and what should we do to use those resources in the best possible way to ensure we stay in profit but also to make sure that we look after people and planet as well. So I, 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 I've not come across with any of the clients that I've worked with um, any demoralization of employees. They, they feel happy that they're being listened to and engaged with, and they're happy that they can make some suggestions, which in the main are perfectly good uh, suggestions, which the business owners wel welcome. And now a quick word from our sponsor. Clark got its start back in 1935 And while the world has changed a bit It's more than just survived From complying with the FCA And all things financy They can also speak fluently In the language of legalese Ori Clark was born and raised Right here in the UK And now for 20 years They've been helping others Get set up and on their way Ori Clark's door's always open and happy to provide straight talking financial and legal advice since 1935. And this week, a big shout out to Sean Veer Singh, who has recorded our stellar jingle. You can find him at Sean Veer Singh Music. Now back to the chat. Well, um, what do you what are you most excited about then for your organisation? Are you gonna are you gonna hire and build a team and take over the world? No, is the answer to that. But I am working with a lot of associates and there is, you know, a plan to scale, but I will do it by working with associates. So as more and more business comes in, I'll then be able to work with those associates so that we can actually uh, manage the numbers that are coming in. I've worked with 10 or so associates. So between us, we have got a capacity to uh, help 4,000 businesses a year go through uh, the B impact assessment. So there's plenty of capacity there. Hang on, 4,000 a year? That's kind of like... 
Well, you do the math. I'm trying. Uh, uh, how many a, a week? 300 a month, uh, I don't know, 100 yeah. a week. That is pretty impressive. Yeah, so one of the things I didn't necessarily talk about is I do a lot of work with uh, startups and scale-ups. So rather than taking those individual businesses through the B-Impact assessment individually, uh, I run cohorts or boot camps yeah. so that we can take seven or eight businesses through simultaneously. And because it's a 10-step program that takes three months, effectively, one could do 10 cohorts with 10 businesses simultaneously. Uh, so that would be 100 businesses a quarter, 400 a year for an individual, 10 of us, 4,000. A B Corp boot camp. Hey, how about that? And a bit of yoga on a Tuesday. Gotta love it, Andy. You gotta love it. One thing we probably should have asked earlier, but, it, you know, a lot of businesses will look at becoming a B Corp and sort of just look at mitigating the negative aspects of what they do and trying to sort of sort those bits. But are there any kind of hints you've got for how they turn that around and start looking at how they can make a positive kind of impact as well as just mitigating the negatives? Yeah, there is. I mean, a, a classic example of that is talking to a lot of the B Corps uh, who, who've gone through the certification process and you say, well, what, what are some of the benefits that you've got out of that? A, a classic one that is regularly cited is that they are finding it easier to recruit people once they're a B Corp and not only to recruit people, but to retain staff as well. You know, I literally had a, a chat a couple of months ago with, with a pal who was working for B Corp, offered a few grand more to go and work elsewhere, didn't want to go because the other company were not a B Corp and he didn't feel that that company resonated with him in the same way that the current one did. And is it is it a bit about the kind of benefits and stuff that you'll be giving staff? I think, Philippa, there's a little bit of that, but I actually think, you know, people want to work for and buy from companies that they fundamentally think are good companies and yeah. that they can believe. So it's more of an integrity thing and does that company, you know, match my own moral compass a little bit? And there are some generally, let's say, corporates out there whose moral compass is slightly adrift. Mm. I think it, you know where it comes from is when you take your friends or you meet people and they say, what do you do? It's how you feel when you answer that question. You say, like, people don't like working for people that are unknown. One of the reasons people like working for brands is you say, oh, I work for Cadbury's. Oh, you work for Cadbury. They're off. Oh, talk to me about the chocolate. Whereas if you say, oh, I work for, you know, Jingle Buries or something, like, well, what's that? I mean, you know, it's kind of, it's a little bit like that. So you gauge from these little micro responses. And they and sometimes people ask you those questions like, you know, oh, what do you do about that or something? Oh, I sell, you know, um, I remember meeting a lady from America who was very hot and she sold drugs like that was her job and she went into doctor's offices and sold drugs in america and i was like fuck you're like the hottest person i've met like is that does that feel right to you or something and obviously that that's incredibly why they hired offensive. Her, right yeah i mean i thought what i was asking was perfectly reasonable she didn't have this 
awful argument well in this you restaurant. thought saying to somebody you're really hot you do you no, really I want just to do said, this job just like no i said like it's okay. ethical you sell drugs i was like oh, you know what i mean like fucking you should not sell drugs like anyone can sell drugs like as in these illegal drugs anyway you know it's like you don't <laughs> illegal, need your drug dealer illegal legal legal, legal. Yeah. you don't need you know, should i have moxie you know should i buy oxycodone i don't know if it's shit smoking hot we don't that should not be that, those things do not go together <laughs> you know they don't <laughs> so you know it's um those micro responses you know i think she got very upset with me that evening and i asked all the wrong questions but i hope she thought about it a little bit do you know what i mean like yeah what the fuck am i doing here you know yeah but i suppose i mean you know not we're really off tangent now but i suppose in the u.s how else are uh, doctors going to purchase their drugs if somebody doesn't come and sell them to them they don't have the nhs yeah well no they don't anyway yeah that's and that's what's wrong about it but, you know, there was that thing with a company that I won't mention the name of, uh, um, probably last year sometime, I think it was actually, where to the outside they were this this kind of entrepreneurial, young, useful, hip company that everybody wanted to work for. And then it all came out that they treated their employees terribly and that they had a kind of non-benevolent or unbenevolent, imbenevolent, I don't know, boss at the top who was the founder who was making everybody's lives a misery and people left them like a you know rats leaving a sinking ship so it clearly does have an impact the kind of the atmosphere in the workplace of course it does and i think you know working for a business that you feel is a for good business uh if if, if ultimately you're a for good person uh there's that caveat but if, if that matches you you do want to be working for a business that fits and you know over the years I've worked for some I've felt more at home at than others Tabris was definitely right up there I think I just don't want it to end up like an us and them that you go to the pub and you, you know everyone leaves your table because oh there's the guy who works for the mining company or something and it's like well hang on let's discuss mining that's a pretty complicated subject you know yeah we mine for this resource yeah we are extracting it and you're using a phone with it in and like you know I mean you can think of you know oil is just part of that whole like digging shit out of the earth and using it stuff you know I used to I the firm I used to work for did a lot of gaming. Video games. No, no, no. Oh, Old gaming. fashioned gaming. Gambling. Yeah, gambling. another one that splits and people. I absolutely refuse to work for any gambling clients because I don't think it's ethical. You know, and over the years, we'd actually ended up not really doing very much of it anymore. But when I first joined, they did a lot. And it's difficult because you can't say this firm should not do that because it's not your choice. Do you know what I think is not ethical about gambling? Advertising it. I mean, it's the same well, as I think drugs. the whole thing is anything totally that's like, But anything that you're not going to stop people doing, like you can try and stop gambling, but it's like trying to stop drugs. It's like people are going to fucking have a little flutter and a gamble. There'll be illegal markets. That's where you end up legalizing it. So anything like that, and that's what people complain about. They should be fucking not on the high street, not allowed to advertise, you know. It should be, as long as it's like, it's almost difficult to get hold of. But it's there if you really, you know, want it and it's legal and it's controlled. Like um, brothels are, actually. And, you know, it's brothels are illegal, but they're legal in places like Australia and stuff. And I think I think on balance, you know, anyway, we're really off piste here. Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, best piece of advice you've ever been given? I think the best piece of advice I've ever been given is literally love your neighbour. I know that's the mantra of various different, uh, you know, world religions. I think you'll find it was Jesus. <laughs> it was Jesus. He did, he did say that, yeah, I did. believe. 
Yes. And I think I think that's worked really well. You know, for me, I've been, you know, on the receiving end of some care from friends, family, neighbours, and you know, I try and try and give that out in the community I live and in the work community I am and trying to spread a bit of B Corp love, which is ultimately about loving your planet and loving your people. Uh, that that resonates with me and I guess to a large extent explains why I'm enjoying doing what I'm doing. The shirt, I now understand the dress sense, the colourful shirts, the sunshine. You're you're here to bring bring a smile and a bit of positivity. That's your your vibe. That is my icky guy, Andy. You've got it, you've nailed it. Well done. No, I like it. Top three reads or top three podcasts, or you can do top three albums. Top three chocolate combination, bars. Combination, top three, we can do top three chocolate bars, fudge. Anyway, sorry. I think you're going to go down to top three vinyl singles that you <laughs> bought. You could do. <laughs> oh, I can't remember the last vinyl single I bought in truth, but no, good, good read. So uh, a mate of mine um, is called Paul Hargreaves. He runs Cotswold Fair. They're a, uh, oh, a food yeah. horse. Yeah. Uh, he's written a really good book called The Fourth Bottom Line, flourishing in an era of compassionate leadership. So that uh, really resonated with me. I thought that was great. I do like Simon Sinek's famous Start With Why. I think that's a great one. And a podcast that I particularly enjoy listening to is one called Green Elephant, which I just think is kind of a slightly funny name. What's What's it about? Environmental stuff. And it talks about the elephant in the room the kind of great, but the green elephant in the room. So they've got a whole series of different stuff on there, which are worth looking at. Okay. That's nice. I it's quite a like a podcast range. about an actual green elephant as well, just for the, yeah. Oh, we're on to the fun bit. Yeah, here we go. <clears throat> okay. So that brings us to our favorite part of the show, the business versus bullshit quick fire round. D, cue the music. This is where, Andy, we reel off a list of key terms. You may recognize one of them. And all you have to do is tell us whether you think it is business or bullshit. Are you clear? Are you ready? Let's bring it on. Diversity quotas. Business. Nice. Uh, I have a feeling there may be a theme to this art set of answers. Stand-up meetings. Bullshit. Coffee. Bullshit. Agendas, as in meeting agendas. Bullshit. Oh. Hour-long meetings. Definitely bullshit. bullshit. I've realised we're going to design our own B Corp here, the, the non-bullshit pro-business B Corp. But uh, careful, tread very carefully. Don't tread carefully, it's tread fine. Tread carefully. Don't. Office okay. dogs. Bullshit. Yes. Every time. <laughs> Every time. I'm um, sure I should, yeah. Carbon credits. Business. Swearing in meetings. Bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, you just swell. Uh, yeah. Pub lunches. Business. Very good, correct. Any British person who doesn't agree. Um, B Corps. Business. Yeah. So the capital B. Uh, NDAs. Uh, did you say MBA or NDA? NDA as in non-disclosure. Oh, you know, we agreement. could add MBAs to we this. We could add MBAs. Oh, they right piss me off sometimes. 
I think both MBAs and MBAs are both bullshit. Very nice. So not happy about that. Um, <laughs> Which bit? Uh, the NDAs. I'm the lawyer in the room, yeah. right? Yeah. Def- we, we're, we're pretty happy. I think our conclusion is they're business, but bullshit. They're, yeah. They're a category to themselves. Okay, brace yourself. Unlimited vacations. Business. LinkedIn. Business. And the final question for one million points, formal workloads. Can you see how I'm dressed? That's formal. It's formal for a B Corp. You're Mr. Sunshine. If you turn up in a black suit, we'd be worried. Formal workloads. Bullshit. Nice. Excellent. Excellent. That is the end of the quick far round. You did terribly and you scored one of our lowest of any... Con- no, you did. There was excellent. a lot of bullshit in there. A lot of bullshit. A lot of bullshit, lot of bullshit including... Um, no, fantastic work. So this is where we give you 30 seconds to pitch your company or your podcast or a book or whatever you like. So off you go. Speak is to business what fair trade is to coffee. It's a way for anyone to measure and improve their social and environmental impact. Highly recommend it to anyone. If you need help, uh, give us a shout. We've got a Couch to 5K program that takes a couple of hours a week across 10 weeks. Doesn't cost a lot of money. Amazing return on investment. And together we can make uh, the planet a better place and we can use business as a force for good. Great stuff. So, Andy, if our listeners want to find out more about you online, what's the best way for them to do that? Businessonpurpose.uk. There is a B Corp section on that page that you can have a look at. It's highly educational and inspirational. Go take a look. Maybe we should time guess. Maybe that would add a certain. Yeah, I think we need to. We need to have one of those. Let's say sorry. That's it. You know. Anyway, is there anything you wanted to throw under the fire? I mean, on the B Corp side, you know, I would genuinely just encourage anyone to give it a go. It's not as complex and as humongous as companies make out. You can get through it in in a bite-sized way by doing it a little bit each week. I also think, um, would I be right in saying this, I guess is my question, that you need a bit of buy-in from a business as a whole. So if one of you, one of the founders or whatever goes, yes, let's be a B Corp, if everybody else is a bit ambivalent, it's not going to go very far. There is a little bit of that, but you know, I've had some larger corporates where the middle management have caught it and had a look at it, gone through the B Impact Assessment, realised that it's helped them as a tool to understand what it is they need to do. And they've then taken that up to the director level with a proposal, and that's that's worked well. So, okay, yeah, I think there's ways of uh, doing a warm up act as well. I think a lot of the time, in reality, that's right. People, you need buy-in eventually, but trying to get buy-in from everyone will just be like a brick wall. But if you can, by stealth, kind of start nudging down a road, and then people start to sort of get a sense of it and get a benefit, that that's often the best way to get anything done. I think it's fair to say you do need a champion. Yeah, I think that's right. A B champion. But, you know, you can end up, and I've seen this in other businesses, but you can end up with sort of one person who's the champion and then you kind of have a load of people kind of dragging at his legs, as it were, going, this is a bit of a waste of time, isn't it? Why are we doing this? Are we spending money on this? This doesn't seem like, you know, this is all a bit of bullshit really, isn't it? And it just slows that champion up. And, you know, you don't get anywhere. 
you absolutely do get that, and that is something that you know the uh, the, the champion does need to negotiate and, and manage. But you know, you can say to most people, do you would you like the planet to be healthier and better, and for us as a business to treat it better? Most most people are going to say yes to that. So there you have it. And this was this week's episode of Business Without Bullshit. Thank you to Andy for joining us. Thank you to Pippa, my co-host. And a big thank you to you, dear listener. Please rate and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. Remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. It, the uh, thingamabob is at B-I-Z without B-S. Until next time, it's ciao.